Well, today, I am ending the series entitled, My Strength or His. It's about Samson. I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, when I was looking at this text last summer, that's when I do annual planning, is uh, I take uh, several weeks during the summer and, and plan out the whole year. I'll switch it around a little bit sometimes. But when I looked at this text and I thought, man, there's more than one sermon about Samson, and there, I came up with five. I've never seen anybody preach five sermons on the Samson and his life before, but it's been fun, and I think it's been uh, insightful. Today is my favorite sermon in, in the series because it, uh, it speaks of God's forgiveness and grace, and I've entitled this sermon, God Specializes in Comebacks. When I was a young person, I went to a youth camp in Drain, Oregon. There were 150 high schoolers or so that were there. And um, I remember every year they would have a, uh, a pie-eating contest at the end of the week. This was my third year there. I was a senior. My name had never been chosen. You had to be chosen out of this bucket. And uh, I, I had a really good relationship with the camp director. He was the state uh, director for what was then called the Pentecostal Church of God. And... and um, I really liked him. We got along really great. And I, I had told him before, if I ever get in that pie eating contest, I'm not even going to eat my pie. Because at the end, he would say, ready, go, after they declared a winner. And then you could, we'd just have a free-for-all pie fight. It was so cool. And he allowed it. It was permissible. And, and so I told him, if I ever get selected, I'm not even going to eat my pie, buddy. I'm going to save it because I'm coming for you. That's, <laughs> that's what I told him. And he said, no, God won't let you get in there. But amazingly, my name was chosen when I was a senior. And I remember standing in front of my pie and they said, go. And I didn't even bend down. I just stood there while everybody else ate. And I looked at him and he went. <laughs> but it was all in good fun, right? He was allowing it. And so when they were done, he started on a run. He said, ready, go. And then he took off and I grabbed my pie and I'm chasing him around the camp. And he, he's kind of a, a, a small chubby guy and he fell down. And when he fell down, just when he turned over, I smashed that pie right in his face, and it was awesome, and I was celebrating, and then he got up and did this, and he said, after him, and every kid in that camp was chasing me. Now, I was a senior who played three sports uh, every, every year in, in high school, and I was in good shape, and, and most of those guys weren't athletes. I felt like a deer, a gazelle. They couldn't catch me. I was going everywhere for five, seven minutes. Finally, I got so tired, they grabbed me, and they're holding me, and the whole camp gathers around. And that, that fella grabbed the pie, and he scooped it back in with all the dirt. He got more pie, and he had this thing mounded up, and he was playing it up, man. He came for me like this, and everybody's going, whoa, whoa. And they had me just bound everywhere like this. And, and then I just relaxed. I thought, well, I'm going to get it anyway. And so I relaxed. And when I relaxed, they let go of my legs. And I thought, that wasn't very smart of them. <laughs> So I just stayed relaxing. When he got close, he was pointing it up. They were all yelling and screaming, get him, get him, get him. And when he went like this and picked it up to smash it in my face, just when he stepped close enough, I went, bam, just like that. And I kicked it in his hand, went, foop, right in his face, just like that. It was incredible, the satisfaction I felt at that moment. It didn't matter that they held me down and everybody got me after that. It, just, it was just a great moment. They thought it was over, but it wasn't over. And this story we're looking at today, it reminded me of that story because they think it's over for Samson. They think they've beat him. They've got him bound and he's not coming back. But it ain't over till it's over. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and touch our hearts. You have so much that you want to reveal of your grace and your truth today. 
I pray that each person would apply to their heart the truth that you're loving, you're merciful, and you're forgiving, and you'll use our lives. I, I, I pray that you'll work in such a significant way that we would leave this place saying God was truly among us. Let it be, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Last night I prayed in this place, and, um, and I just, I know it's, it might seem strange, but I, I just prayed that Jesus would walk the aisles today. You know, he's not just some ethereal force in the sky. The Spirit of God is here today to touch us, to cause us to see who he is. I have been on a quest the last few years. I, I, my, my whole purpose in life has become this, to discover how amazing the love of God is. And I'm, and I'm learning more and more all the time, but you never really fully get it. He's so incredible. And as I look at this story, I'm so moved by his great love for us and, and the things that we can learn from Samson about his mercy. Here's one of the things that I, I think I see in this text. God forgives even our big mistakes. Samson's made a huge mistake. He's made several of them and his sin cost him. It brought shame upon his life. It brought shame to Jehovah, his God. He'd evoked the worship of a pagan god. And here's what the people, the Philistines who captured Samson were saying. Our god Dagon is greater than his god. Our god is one. We have captured our enemy. Look at it in Judges 16.23. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifice and praising their god Dagon. They said our god has given us victory over our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. Now remember, his eyes are gouged out, his hair had been shaved off, uh, and they were now about to make a mockery of him by bringing him into this public setting, where it was a setting that they were worshiping their pagan God. They said, the one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Verse 25, half drunk by now. And I, I just want you to know you don't have to be all drunk. You can be half drunk and do really stupid things. The people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hand against the pillars that hold the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. The word amused is really translated from two words in the, in the Hebrew and, and they're words that mean entertain and perform. And what it means is they brought him out to mock him. They were, they were joking and celebrating and frolicking and making him the entertainment. And the word, one of the words has to do uh, a part of the definition can be dancing. And so many scholars think that what was happening in this setting is they brought him out to mock him. He's blind, he can't see, his eyes are gone. He looks pitiful. He made them think that he was helpless because that's the way he looked to them. And, and, they, and they probably made him dance just to make fun of him. And everybody's laughing and having a good time and they're thinking it's all over, but it ain't over till it's over. They didn't know that God was going to forgive him, that God had been restoring his strength. Samson asked that attendant, that young man, to lead him over to the pillars, and, and there he uttered his last prayer. Now, how do I know God forgave Samson? Well, I, I, let's look at Psalm 66, 18. 
It says this, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. The very fact that Samson's prayer is about to be answered is testimony to me that he was in right relationship with God. He had been in that prison. You know, prison is all about reforming people, right? I mean, that's the purpose still today in our society. People do bad things. They sin greatly. They're placed in incarceration. And there they get to think about what they've done and think about the freedom they've lost. You know, the interesting thing is they want to have the freedom to do whatever they want, but that kind of freedom, when you violate other people, only brings bondage. And it's true with God's truth as well. We think it's freedom when we do whatever we want, but it'll bring bondage. And Samson, when he was in prison, he got to think about it. Just like some prisoners are reformed when they come out because they think, man, I know what that stuff brings. I don't want it anymore. I'm going to live right. That can happen in our Christian lives too. We say we're going to partake of those things. And in his case, it was loose women. And it's okay, we like it, it's going to be fine. I don't care what the Bible says, but you start doing those things that the Bible says beware of, and pretty soon you find yourself in a bondage too. A bondage where things are lost and stolen from you. A bondage where freedom is gone and difficulty has come like you've never known. And Samson in that setting, literally in prison and literally in the bondage that his sin brought, thought about it and said, this is not what I want. And you know, when you're separated from those elements that were so tempting, it makes it easier to get back to the things of God. That's why many people come to Christ in prison. And he had decided, I want to do something different with my life. And so he had his relationship restored while he was there. God forgave Samson, and he'll forgive you and I as well. Because it's not just Samson that's made big mistakes in his life, is it? Not very many of us get through life without making some sort of big mistake. There, there may be a few, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no, not one righteous, not even one, the Bible says, and it's talking about your whole life long. Psalm 103, verse three says this, he forgives all my sins, all. I think the unpardonable sin, you wonder what that is in the Bible? I think it's denying Jesus Christ and not accepting him as your Lord all your life long. That's the unpardonable sin. If you're still alive, then God will forgive any mistakes you've made. If you turn to him in humility, and Samson, it appeared, had done that. He forgives all sin. He forgave David for adultery. He forgave Moses for murder. He forgave Mary Magdalene who the Bible called an immoral woman and most likely was a prostitute. She had seven demons cast out of her. He forgave her. I think we need to be careful because if we're not, you know, I talked about Greasy Grace. The other other club that the enemy will use is legalism. We forget where we came from. We forget how we've been forgiven. And sometimes we look at a life who's messed up and someone who's made big mistakes and say, well, they can't be in the club. But don't you understand that that's why Jesus came is to save sinners, all sinners, to save us, to save all people. And all it takes is a humble heart to bow to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who God the Father sent to pay the price for our sin. You don't work your way into the kingdom. You receive the grace of God freely by just asking and he applies his mercy to our lives. He forgives I've been praying 
that people would show up today who think they've gone too far, who think that God doesn't want them anymore. I've been praying that people who've made big mistakes would be here today so God could remind them about how much he loves them and how much he wants them and remind them of the fact that he loves them so much that he gave his one and only son. You think about your kids. God the Father gave his one and only son so that we might be saved. That's how much he loves us. There's a famous and brilliant theologian named Karl Barth was once asked, what's the greatest saying you've ever heard? And this brilliant man, one of the greatest theologians of our time, answered this way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, the most brilliant thing about the gospel is the simplicity. Jesus loves us. He died for our sins. Ephesians 1, 7 I don't know what your view of God is, but if it's not this, we need to change our view. He is so rich in kindness and grace. Sometimes you had a dad who was hard on you. We tend to think about who God is in terms of how our fathers treat us. That's why it can be so damaging when dads aren't a good example in life. But often we get our examples from from that, that authority in our lives and And if you had a rough one, you may not believe this, but listen, don't get a view of who God is from your father. Get a view of what a father, an earthly father, should be by looking at God. And here's what the Bible says. He's so rich in kindness and grace. That's who God is. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He will forgive even your biggest mistakes. That's what he did with Samson. And then I would add this, extrapolate that thought a little bit further. It is not too late to be used by God. If you're still alive, you still have time to be used by God in a significant way, no matter what your mistakes have been. Samson had been humiliated. His hair, which signified the Nazarite vow, it was his consecration, his commitment to the Lord, had been shaved off. It was the secret to his strength, that commitment to God. The irony is it's our commitment to God is the secret to his strength flowing through us too. There's a parallel there. His eyes had been gouged out because he forsook that commitment. And he was grinding in the mill. He was in bondage. And they brought him before thousands to be mocked and made fun of. But that's not how the story ends. Not in shame and disgrace, but in an incredible climax Judges 16.22 said this, he was grinding in that mill, but before long his hair began to grow back. While he was going around in that circle, grinding that mill, when he couldn't see any longer with his physical eyes, his spiritual eyes began to focus on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. Oh, it's, I know it's God the Father, but Jesus was there from the beginning. And as he focused on God the Father, he started to see with his eyes, that God was merciful and forgiving. His hair started to grow back, which is a sign that his commitment, that consecration, he re-upped. He was about to make a comeback. God specializes in comebacks. Did you know he's the God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance? Hey, maybe you and I would say, three strikes and you're out. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that? He says, forgive as I've forgiven you. 
How many times? 70 times 7. In one day. What? That's not even possible. That's the point. It's not three strikes and you're out. He's a God of a first, second, third chance, and beyond that fourth as well. His hair was growing back. Just some thoughts here. It took time for his hair to grow back. People who've made big mistakes, I've seen them say at times before when they sinned against the spouse or others, I've seen them say, well, God forgave me, why can't you? Well, it's one thing to forgive someone, to give forth to God this this thought um, that, 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 you know, he's in your hands and you can, that's what forgiveness means, to give forth to God uh, and not to require anything to happen for me to be okay, but leave it in God's hands and trust in him. And, and here he is, and his hair's growing back, but did you know what? It took time for his hair to grow back. And it takes time in our lives too. And I would just say for those who've greatly sinned against a loved one, the dirty coat and dirty shoes must be removed before those who've sinned against you are allowed entrance to, again in your life in a significant way. And that means this, trust must be rebuilt. God forgives, but you've wounded someone deeply and it takes time for trust to be rebuilt. Doesn't mean people don't love you, but if we've given them significant reason not to trust us, can we blame them? And so, even though it's true that God forgives and it's not too late to be used by God, I'm saying be ready to rebuild things if you've made big mistakes. It takes time and history to prove these things and show that trust. And then I would say this, when we sin greatly against God, Samson never got his eyes back, physically. Good things happen, and when we come to God, good things happen, but sometimes sin costs us something. If you commit adultery, Jesus says it's such a terrible sin against your spouse that, that he or she is, uh, it, it's permissible for them to, to let you go if that, there's such a deep hole in their heart. He didn't say that's what he wants, but if that trust has been wounded so deeply, he'll, he'll allow it to happen, and God will forgive you for the adultery, but sometimes you lose your spouse. Samson didn't get his eyes back. Yet, with all of that, there's still no doubt that if you'll turn to him in his mercy, God will use your life in a significant way again, even though you've made mistakes. He does that in Samson's life here. Chapter 16, verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Now, I want you to notice his prayer And maybe you can remember back a couple sermons ago to to the place where I talked about, Lord, you use my strength to accomplish this. That's That's what Samson said, and he had it backwards. But after all this time grinding the grain, thinking about it, that hair growing back, he's got it right now. Look how he prays, oh God, please strengthen me. He knows where the strength comes from now. Just one more time, with one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people, so he killed more people when he died than he had during his whole lifetime. And that's the point of this whole series, my strength or his. So, you have a trial right now, and 
You want things to work out. Question, are you working on your own strength to try to figure this all out and make it happen? Or are you gonna trust in his strength? I was just thinking of this this week, even with our children, whatever age they may be, difficulty comes and wisdom is needed. I think as parents, too often we're just on our own. We don't even tap into the amazing strength and wisdom of God to say, God, what is the key to this situation? What is the wisdom you'd give me right now? It might not be to say something. It might be to be quiet because you've said enough. But when we try to do it on our own strength, we think of, you know, our parents raised us and we know how that, they did a good job and I'll do this and this is always the answer. Listen, if we're not careful, we'll be working on our own strength as Christian parents. Why wouldn't we tap into the amazing strength and wisdom of God to tell us the key to that situation? He wants to help us. A relationship in your home. Maybe you're trying to rebuild trust. A place at work that's really difficult. Maybe a season where you don't have a job. Listen, if you try to navigate a season where you don't have a job all on your own and it takes a couple years, you are going to get depressed. You'll come to a place in life where you realize you can't make it happen. But if you go through that season knowing that God's strength is with you, you can actually enjoy the season. I saw a brother in this church that I talked to a couple weeks ago who hasn't had a job for over a year and I said, how are things going? He said, awesome. He said, I, I've had such a great time reconnecting with my family in a significant way and God has taken care of all of our needs. And he just found a job. But because he was relying on the strength of the Lord through that season, he didn't despair. I'm not saying that's easy because I think it's tempting to try to work in your own strength and power. I've done it too much in my own life. But those of us who've made mistakes that way, we can stand and testify that when we trust in him, everything gets easier and better. Don't do it in your own strength. Trust in his strength. Samson, for too long, tried to do things in his own strength and took credit when good things happened. But now he gets it. Verse 28, God, please strengthen me. If we can carry that thought through our lives, not my strength, but yours. I can't do it by myself. That's, that's the truth. I know Americans are taught differently. Be independent. Be self-sufficient. Well, I would say, trust in the Lord with your whole heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll show you the way. He'll make the path straight. That's what the Bible says. Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Whose strength are we operating in in our biggest trials? One of the biggest mistakes Christians make in our lives is to do things in our own strength when we have his strength available to us. And yet, even after we've made these mistakes and even the big mistakes of our life, Jesus is there to meet us, forgive us, and embrace us, the mo- embrace us the moment we're ready to turn to him and say, I need you. I need your strength. One of the greatest stories in the Bible to me is where Jesus forgives Peter for denying him three times. 
You find it in Mark 16, 6. I mean, think of this. This is a guy who stood up, Peter, and boldly proclaimed before thousands the message of Jesus Christ, willing to die in that setting, knowing that it could cost him, that the, that the leaders uh, could, could give him great grief, uh, the Jewish leaders that knew not God. And then the same guy, when Jesus was taken into custody and, and his he was whipped and the thorns were pressed on his head and he was paraded around and they made fun of Jesus. Peter became so afraid that he hid and the Bible said that he followed from a distance. It's not a good way to follow God from the distance. He was warming himself around a fire and three times he denied Christ and twice it was a little maiden girl. She said, I know you, you're one of them. And he said, no, I'm not. Yes, you are, you're one of them. And he cursed to say, no, I'm not. And he ran away into the darkness. This great man of God made a huge mistake. Mark 16, 6. Jesus has ascended already and the angel comes back and says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples. And here are two of the sweetest words in the Bible, including Peter. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. I'm sure Peter thought, I blew it. Everybody knows, Jesus told me. Jesus had prophesied it. You'll, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. Twice, and it, and it happened. And he's all discouraged, thinking, well, how can I be used of God now? But Jesus calls back to him after his big mistake. Says, hey, Peter, you're included. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. His forgiveness is awesome. It's not too late to be used by him. Your life hasn't been too messed up where you still can't right now, if you'll follow him, be used in a significant way by God. Pastor Armando, who's leading the church called Esperanza on our Sagart site that we started about uh, a month or six weeks ago. Armando was in a gang when he was a young person in Los Angeles. Not only that, he was a gang leader. You know why? Because he has the gift of leadership in his life. The common grace of God is upon all of us to be used in all of life. But when we turn those gifts over to God, that's when something significant and eternal starts to happen with those gifts. He didn't know Jesus. He got into a drug culture. He went to prison. Somewhere along the way, a little 15-year-old boy comes past the gang members and says, go to church with me. And they made fun of that little 15-year-old boy carrying his Bible. But Armando said every time he would say something, he, would, he was hopeful that what that kid was saying about Jesus was true. Finally, to make that kid shut up, he said, I'll go with you if you don't tell everybody else and you'll stop asking me. And Armando went to a church and he found Jesus Christ and the grace of God was poured out on this kid's life who was all messed up. Now, years later, he's been following Jesus with his life. He's, he's gone uh, to, to ministry training and he's been mentored by a pastor and now he's been placed in a church where he's God's trophy. You say, well, we need to, 
We need to cover up those things from our past. Are you kidding me? Do you know the greatest testimony of who Jesus is, is how he changes lives? That he's the way, the truth, and the life? You tell me any other religion where life is turned around, where they couldn't follow before, and now the power comes to help them do things that they've never done before, to turn away from things that they couldn't turn away from before. Only the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ can do that. And Armando is now God's trophy. And scores of Hispanics have already come to Jesus in our city because Pastor Armando is now giving his life completely to Jesus. I'm happy to tell you that after our missions convention, we're able to support Pastor Armando at $500 a month as he starts out this new work. He's beginning to step away from his workplace and there's, that's kind of fearful, right? How are you going to make it? Well, we're jumping in to help some. And so is Woodhaven. And they've got a number of tithers and God's gonna do a significant work and I'm telling you, that guy's a leader. Every time I'm with him, I'm encouraged by the grace of God. I am moved deeply to see what Jesus has done. He has so much zeal. He was a crazy man before he came to Jesus and now he's a sold out guy for Jesus Christ who would give his life and he's doing it right now. Some might say he's disqualified because of the sin of his past, but you know what God says? I turn lives around, and I'm gonna use Armando in a significant way. Did you know that the Luis Palau organization is coming to Armando to say, help us reach the Hispanics in this area? He's been going to the outlying work camps for years and ministering and leading people to Jesus. God's using Pastor Armando. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. God doesn't even remember Armando's past. It's just a testimony that he's forgiven and that sin has been erased out of his life. The old life is gone, it says. A new life has begun. God can use your life. It's not too late if you surrender completely to him. As we look at the life of Samson, the end of his story is not even in Judges here where he's, where he's about to die. Hebrews eleven thirty two is this is the faith chapter, by the way. Samson humbles himself. The Lord uses him greatly one more time. And then he gets a shout out in the faith chapter of the Bible. How much more do I need to say, it says. It would take too long to recount the stories of faith. Samson's one of these people. The faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson. And it goes on to mention several others. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. Samson did that. Quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. That makes you and I candidates right there. Our weakness can be turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And I want to end this point by saying this, no matter how conscious we are of our own limitations, our own sin and shortcomings, we can look to God to make use of us again. And in his great mercy, he will. So one last thought as we close this series, this last point. What will your legacy be? Judges 16 31, later his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. 
This is Samson now. He pushed those pillars and he died that day. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Estel, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. So what are we to think of the life of Samson? You've heard it before that when they bury you, it'll say the beginning year of your birth, then it'll have a little dash, and then the ending year where it all was over in this life for you. That little dash is our life. It represents everything that happened from the moment we were born to the moment we die. Only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, the poet said. So let's look at the life of Samson and his legacy. I think we all have a big life purpose. And one of the things about sin and not following God with our own hearts is that if, if, if we mess around too much, we'll miss our big life purpose, even though we'll find the grace of God, even though God will do things for us, but I, I want to I fulfill his big life purpose for me, the big purpose that he has. I want you to fulfill that. As we look at Samson, one of the things we find out is he didn't. I am a former athlete, is the way I like to refer to myself these days. And one of the things I, I, uh, I, I never was that fond of is hearing a coach say to me, you have great potential. Because what that meant is you're not fulfilling your potential right now. You're, you're not there yet. I, I kind of would like to make it to where I'm, I've arrived at my potential, right? And so when someone says, you have great potential, it's, it's kind of showing there's opportunity, but you're not there yet. This guy had amazing potential. Here's, here's where his big life purpose was, Judges 13.5. He was called, if you, if you flip to your Bible, you'll see it, to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So the question, did he fulfill his big life purpose? No, he did not. He struck several blows that were good, hard shots that hurt the enemy. He shook loose the bonds a little bit where courage started to rise up in the Israelites. And they thought, hey, maybe we can defeat him or defeat this enemy, the Philistines. But in his lifetime, it never happened. Why? Because he messed around so much, thinking only of self and his own pleasures, that even though God used his life, he didn't hit that big life purpose. God loved him even after his mistakes. God used him even after his mistakes, but ultimately he fell short of that big purpose for his life. And that's why I say this, instead of trying to make a lofty hero out of Samson, it's far better to recognize that he was given much yet fell far short of his potential. He was all about self and not about God. So, so here's a great question for all of us as we think of legacy. Who are you living for? You living for yourself or you living for God? I submit it's possible for Christians believing Jesus Christ followers to make it to heaven and still live predominantly for themselves. What if we took a look at our lives, that little dash that represents from the moment we arrive to the moment we're, we're gone in this life? What if we looked at that as trying to hit our big life purpose, our big purpose in life, fulfilling his big plan for us? Who are you living for? What are you doing with the gifts and resources that the Lord has given you? Are you using them for yourself or are you using them for him? Samson wasted much of his potential for God. He lived for himself. 
I don't know if you're watching, but uh, I think it's interesting, this Tim Tebow thing. How many of you are familiar, you're watching the news about the, the criticism Tim Tebow is facing as a quarterback and a believer? Okay, a lot of you. Some of the ladies even as well. Let me tell you, I want to talk about because I think it's bigger than sports. Tim Tebow is a guy who's living out loud for Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed. I, I, the thing I love about him is he's, he's not mean-spirited. He's very loving, and that's the way Jesus is. They attack him, but he won't attack back. He just, he just comes with kind answers and love, but he's bold. One ESPN analyst this week said that he believes that Tim Tebow is the most criticized young quarterback in the history of the NFL. I believe that's true. I think it has something to do with his faith, and it's becoming more evident. He's having a little trouble throwing the ball as a quarterback, which is kind of important, but he's winning games. God uses weakness to show his strength sometimes. I want you to listen to this interview, and you ask yourself the question, who's he living for? Watch this. Have you seen or heard Jake Plummer's comments about you from a radio interview that he did in Phoenix yesterday? No, I have not heard. Okay, let us put those up for just a moment, and I'll read them. Obviously, Jake Plummer played for the Broncos before Tim Tebow, and he said to a radio station in Phoenix, we have, the, we have it up? There we are. I think Tim's a winner, and I respect that about him. I think that when he accepts the fact that we know he loves Jesus Christ, then I think I'll like him a little better. I don't hate him because of that. I just would rather not have to hear that every single time he takes a good snap or makes a good handoff. Let's just say, Tim, that for the sake of argument, let's say you were sitting in a room with just Jake Plummer. What would you tell him about these comments that he made? Well, uh, first I'd say, you know, thank you for the compliment of calling me a winner. And then I'd also say, um, you know, if you, um, if you're married and you have a wife and you really love your wife, is it good enough to only say to your wife, I love her the day you get married? Or should you tell her every single day when you wake up and every opportunity? And that's how I feel about my relationship with Jesus Christ is that is the most important thing in my life. So anytime I get an opportunity uh, to tell him that I love him or give him an opportunity to, to shout him out on national TV, I'm going to take that opportunity. And, um, and so I look at it as a, as a relationship that I have with him, that I want to give him the honor and glory anytime I have the opportunity. Um, and then right after I give him the honor and glory, I always try to give my teammates the honor and glory. And that's how it works because Christ comes first in my life. Um, and then my family, and then my teammates, and um, and so you know I uh, I, re I I respect um, you know Jake's opinion, and I really appreciate his compliment of calling me a winner. Um, but I feel like anytime I get the opportunity, um, you know, to give the Lord some praise, He is due for it because what He did for me and what He did on the cross for all of us. And so um, you know I really appreciate his opinion, and and I respect him. Um, but I I still um, will give you know all the honor and glory uh, to, to the Lord because he deserves it. He went on to say, if all we ever do with our lives is throw touchdowns and win football games, then we haven't really done much. Which I'm telling you, that makes a lot of football players think because that's what they're living for. Question for you, is he living for football? 
Who's he living for? Who are you living for? Who am I living for? You know, the most loved person in the history of the world is Jesus Christ. You know who the most hated person is? Jesus Christ. Something's going on in America where they would like us to shut up about this Jesus thing. And they asked the disciples to stop speaking in this name and they said, sorry, can't do that. He's the one who's given us everything. We must go on speaking of his name. We have this philosophy going among Christians in in America today that we should live the life and not speak the words, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to do both. The Bible says, how will they know unless someone tells them? The Bible says that we should shout it from the rooftops. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, that we should compel people to come in. You may not think he's going to make it in football, but I got a feeling that's not what's most important to him. I want us to hit our big life purpose. And what that means is whatever you do, that's what he does for a living, but it's not who he is. Whatever you do, you do it for a living, but that's not who you are. You're a child of God. Jesus lives in your heart. Jesus wants to make his love known to many others. And the question is, are we gonna live out loud for Jesus Christ? Are we gonna make this the main purpose for our lives? I think of Samson and he didn't really fulfill his big life purpose. But I look at Tebow and then I wanna tell you about one other guy. Tebow's got a long time to go in life. Pray for him. There's a lot of pressure on that kid. But I wanna talk to you about a guy named Dave Reaver who was with us a few weeks ago. You know what I'd like you to know? I'd like you to know this guy's for real. You hear so much about televangelists and He's, he's an evangelist who's been on TV, but he's spoken live to 100 million teenagers in the last 40 years in high school assemblies. You may not think that's possible. They're not all teenagers now. It's over a 40-year period where he traveled around America speaking in assemblies. I've been with him when he's spoken to 10,000 kids in one week because we took him to assemblies. What I'd like for you to know is when we would get in a van in Central Oregon or Southern Oregon and there was a part-time youth pastor and a couple of his you know, volunteer workers that were with him, Dave would look them in the eye and cry a tear about what's going on in their life and pray with them. He's real. He never worried about money. He always cared enough. We had to pull him out of those assemblies to get to the next one because he wanted to talk to that little crying girl at the end. Hey, he's had to overcome a lot in life, hasn't he? And he could have stopped and quit and lived off the government with the assistance that he deserved as a national hero. But he said, you know what? I want my life to be significant. I want to do something more for God. And I want to tell you a story just to show his heart. I'm trying to talk about who you're living for and show you a man... I know I, he'd probably be uncomfortable with me saying this, but I, but I, I, I believe he's lived enough, enough life now to be, to be shown as a good example. He told me a story that I asked him if I could tell you. He's never told anyone. And he gave me permission. 
three years ago when they were building that very first ranch, he talked about that to us where they're bringing in these soldiers that have lost their sight and their limbs and have been maimed and burned. And he's speaking hope to them and they're finding Jesus Christ and the army says, yeah, go ahead and teach them religion, teach them about Jesus, that's okay with us. Just get them well because it's the only thing that does get people well, you know, completely to have a heart healed and only Jesus can do that. He needed over a million dollars for that and it was coming down to the end. They didn't have the money and he went to his wife and said, honey, we, we need to give all of our, our retirement. She said, how are we going to make it, Dave? You're 62, 65 now. He said, well, I don't want to do it without your permission, honey, but I feel God would have us to give it. And she agreed. And they took out $350,000, all they had in retirement, and they put it in in the last week so that they could buy that very first ranch. They have three of them now. The very next week, somebody showed up in his property at his door said, we, sir, we would like to just tap your land to see if there's natural gas available on your property. It's a house that he's purchased. He's always received a salary from the ministry. It was his own home that he had purchased. And they said, we'll give you $3,000 if you'll let us check, even if there's no natural gas here. He said, check away <laughs> and write the check. And so they gave him a $3,000 check. Two weeks later, they showed up on his doorstep again and said, sir, we tapped your property and we found a huge vein of natural gas underneath your property. And we would like to uh, draw from that resource. And uh, we normally give 17% of everything we pull out to the owner of the land. But this is such a big natural resource. There's so much there that we'd like to give you 25% if you'll do that. He said, well, what, what does that mean financially? And the guy said, well, do you have kids? said, yeah, you have grandkids? Yes. Do you have great-grandkids? No, not yet. Well, they'll never have to pay for college, and if you want, they'll never have to pay for anything for the rest of their lives, because this will go on for decades. Now, this is not about a get-rich thing, give so you can get from, I like give to get to give away again, that's the philosophy I like. But I'm just telling you, you think if you give all, you're going to lose, I'm telling you, the devil lies to us. If I give my everything, then I'll suffer at work and I'll suffer here. There's no greater life than giving everything. There's no greater life than being all in for Christ and living out that big purpose that he has for you because there, fulfillment comes. And eternity is affected and lives are changed. You're not gonna lose if you give him everything. So I end this series with this scripture. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. See, he has a big plan for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. We look at the life of Samson and we close this series by saying, I, I bet you he would say it if he could talk to you. I wish I'd have been all in sooner. I waited too long. And I bet he would say this, and I, I hope this will be our heart's cry today as, as families, Joshua twenty four fifteen. but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord.